Father, again, we pray that you will speak, you will transform, you will come with your presence. Please fill us with your spirit that we may understand what you try to say, that we may know you more and love you more and trust you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was trying to, I had four messages in mind and so far we didn't manage to finish one. And so I am trying, I'm debating to continue to start the other one. But as we said in the beginning, in the morning, how do you grow, real growth, measurable growth in your relationship with God, in your spiritual maturity growth? How do you grow to be more like Jesus? Growth doesn't happen in human power. Can an Ethiopian change? Can a leopard change? So sh we cannot change. You may change your external behavior, smile, pretend, but you cannot change the human nature. You cannot change your heart. Nobody is good. We all sin except politicians. They never do anything wrong, but we all sin. <laughs> and so how do people change? I'm going to continue the message uh, drawing a parallel between Abraham and our lives. How Abraham tried to have children and how we try to acquire righteousness and salvation. Now listen carefully. I'm going to give an illustration, imaginary illustration, okay? We said Abraham was in Loma Linda and he graduated from whatever and Sarah was in nursing school and she graduated and they got married, we said, and they moved to Florida, okay? And they got a job and they got a house and now they try to have babies as we try to get righteousness. And they try really hard, no babies. And when you try and fail, and when you try and fail, after a while you get discouraged and you get in your mind that you cannot do it. It's like people who try to lose weight. It's like people who try to get victory over anger. It's like people who try to get victory over alcohol or drugs or whatever. You try and you fail and you get discouraged. Abraham tried to have children and he, they didn't manage. So what they did, they started to eat tofu. That if you eat tofu, maybe you get pregnant. Tofu is good. You go to a Thai restaurant and you get uh, tam yam soup with tofu. That's amazing. But it doesn't make you righteous. You follow me? So they ate tofu to get babies. As we sometimes try to do things to get righteous. We should eat healthy because it's the right thing to do. Not to become righteous or to be saved. And then they went to Mark Finlay seminars and to Dwight Nelson seminars. How to get pregnant. And yet they didn't become pregnant. The more sermons you listen, you have listened to a thousand sermons in 20, 30 years of being an Adventist. How many sermons have you heard? Are you still righteous? Sermons are wonderful. But sermons don't change a heart. Only God's presence changes the heart. Unless we have a personal relationship with God, we don't change. The fact that we go to church, listen carefully. If you go to church and you don't encounter God, there is no benefit in going to church. If you study the Bible, is it good or bad to study the Bible? You should not hesitate. Yes, it's good. But if you study the Bible and you don't encounter God's presence, so many people read the Bible and then they fight and cheat and lie and kill. 
It doesn't change you to study the Bible unless you encounter God's presence in the Bible. Jesus told the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But they testify of me in John chapter 5. Jesus implies you should not study the scripture just to get eternal life or this or that. You should study, you should study them to get me. Unless you study the Bible to know God, it doesn't benefit. If you pray, wonderful, you should pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. But if you don't encounter God in your prayer, then it doesn't help you. So many people pray, and yet there is no growth. Everything should aim to know God. That's eternal life. Unless you seek to know God, there is no merit in all you do. You follow me? Therefore, let me continue. Abraham tried to listen to more sermons on how to get pregnant and go to more seminars, yet no pregnancy. And then they took the best pills. They went to Cincinnati Clinic to get pregnant and no pregnancy. As we try really everything to change and grow, and yet growth doesn't happen. And then Abraham gave up. Now I want you to imagine, Abraham is 75, Sarah is 65. The Bible says way beyond the time of bearing child. She was, the Bible says her womb was closed. Okay, and so God tells him, you'll have so many babies like the stars. Now this is what you dropped last night. I want you to hear what I say next. In the Bible, about 92% of the prayers, their answer is not an event, it's a process. In the Bible, most of the prayers, their answer is not an event, it's a process. It takes time. Abraham prayed for a child and God took 25 years to give him a child. Would you be willing to wait 25 years to get an answer? Moses, 40 years until God fulfilled the promise. Joseph, 17 years. 10 as a slave, 7 in prison. 17 years. That's a long time to wait for deliverance, isn't it? God promised him to put him over his family. And then God put him in prison. When God's plans start to be fulfilled, they always go in the wrong direction. God told Moses, you are going to deliver my people? And then he went to wilderness. God told Joseph, you will be over your family? And then he was a slave and then in prison. When God's plans start to work, they always go in the wrong direction. And you say, what's happening in my life? Since I started to pray, everything goes wrong. Because God cannot make you before he breaks you. We would always mix our deeds with God's deeds because that's how we are. We need to do something in order to feel good. And before we understand that there is nothing you can do to save yourself, God cannot work. That's the reason it is by faith, through grace, it is the gift of God, so nobody could take credit for it. If we work, we make a mess. And we need to learn to work but only what God says and only in his power. You cannot have a board meeting, make a plan, and ask God to bless your plan. It's like Joshua. Like, let's have a board meeting and plan how to take Jericho. And after we make a good plan, we had three meetings and they lasted until 11 p.m. We got a good plan. Now, Lord, would you please help us? It doesn't work that way. In order to have God's blessing, you need to receive God's strategy. You don't go to God with your plan to get God's blessing. You go to God with an empty brain, receive God's plan, and then you have his blessing. You follow me? God needs to have us give up not our bad stuff, but also our good stuff. 
And only as you surrender all, God can give you the plan and the blessing. You follow me? And so God had to let Abraham exhaust all his resources, all his plans, and get to the point that there was no hope. And then God could work. And every time when God starts working, we have to finish our resources. And we get so scared that we don't need that anymore. And then we find a way. When you start going down, don't get scared. It is God working on you. If Joseph didn't want to go to prison, he would have never been prime minister of Egypt. If Daniel didn't want to be a slave in Babylon, he would have never been prime minister of Babylon. I'm not saying that when you go down, you'll be prime minister. Don't get there. But I'm saying that when you pray, things are going to go wrong. Don't be scared. It is God teaching you to trust fully in him and zero in self. You follow me? God's plans, when they work, they seem to go in the wrong direction. Don't lose your hope. Because the Bible says that all things work together. You don't need to understand in order to believe. You need to know him and trust him in order to believe. And so, back to the story. When Abraham had no more hope to have children, no more hope to change, to acquire righteousness, to salvation, and so on. When Abraham had no more hope, God said, now I'm going to give you children so you know that it was me. You cannot take credit for it. And so what happened? God, instead of giving him children, it took another 11 years. And then Abraham says, you know, I need to do something about this. And he slept with Hagar, or however you say it in English. Agar, Hagar, whatever. English. He slept with her and he had Ishmael. And that made a mess for the generations to come. When you get involved to help God, you make a mess. God doesn't need your help. God is absolutely able to do what he promised. Don't try to help God. Let God help you. And then, after 11 years, he realized that he did a mistake. And it took another so long until 25 years later altogether, from 75 to 100. No children. I would get tired waiting. If you pray and you don't get an answer, oh, God doesn't answer. God answers. Spirit of Christ says that to every, every means, every, to every honest prayer, an answer will come, comma, but it is wrong to assume that God answers in the time we want, the way we want. God answers, but the way he wants. And if we knew the end from the beginning, a different paragraph, we would choose the same path. And so, finally, Abraham is 99. God shows to him and says, next year you'll have a baby. I want you to imagine 99. <laughs> a baby? Sarah is 89. And in that moment, God says, next year. Very specific. Abraham gets in his Chevy and goes to the gas station and he doesn't see well he's on the steering wheel you know driving he gets at the gas station and his hand is shaking putting gas in the in the car and on the other side is Jim his next door neighbor hey man I heard you changed your name from Abraham to Abraham uh-huh oh, you know what that means uh-huh father of many nations how many kids do you have zero how old are you 100 uh-huh you believe that you'll have kids uh-huh you lost your mind man from a human perspective, absolutely impossible. When there is no hope, when it's absolutely impossible, and you acknowledge a broken heart, a humble heart that acknowledge full dependence, Lord, 
I cannot do it. As long as you think and you try, you'll never succeed. When you say, Lord, I cannot do it. It is impossible. I don't know. I don't deserve. I cannot. It's just I am powerless. Would you please help me? God doesn't despise a broken heart. You follow me? In the moment when you finally hit the bottom and you say, I need you every moment, and you mean it, that's when God finally can work. God doesn't use our power. When I am weak, then I am strong. You follow me? And so, our strength is not in human power, in human wisdom, in human education. Those are good, but our strength, it is in God's power, and therefore we need God. And so, Abraham is 100, and that's when he gets a child. I want you to understand. We talked about what God does. What about me? What, do, what is my part? Do I have to do something? Because you, you pastor preach cheap faith. Oh, do nothing. God saves you anyway. Is that what I am saying? Is there a place for works? Should we obey God? Should we serve? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Why? To be saved or why? Well, let me give you an illustration. Imaginary. It's just in my brain. Let's suppose you are broke, okay? You lost your job. Okay? You owe 400, 500,000 to your house and you got uh, a notice that you'll be foreclosed next month. You lose your house. You owe, uh, if you're in different college, I would say 60,000 tuition, but here, let's say 400,000. <laughs> you owe 400,000 to your tuition, okay? I don't know how much. Okay. You owe 35,000 to your credit card, is maxed out. Your car is broken and you don't have money to fix the car. And you don't have food. You are broke. Okay? And you are desperate. And you cannot even go job hunting because you don't have a car to drive. And your shoes just broke yesterday. When it rains, it pours. Okay? And you don't have a job. And you, don't, you are at the end of your rope. Okay? And your neighbor is Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. Whatever. I don't know. Let's find the kind one. I don't know. You choose. And you go to the neighbor and you live in Michigan and it snowed last night and you say, neighbor, please, I am begging you. I am in debt uh, 800,000 altogether or 900 or what, altogether. And I don't even have food. Give me some works, listen carefully, to save myself. Do you understand what I am trying to say? I need to do something in order to grow. I need to do something in order to pay my debt. I need to do something in order to be saved. Give me some works so I could pay my debt and help myself. And he says, you know, biz you know zero business. You don't know what you talk about. Regardless how much work I give you, regardless how much you work, you'll never pay your debt and you'll never, make, uh, you'll never go ahead. You'll never make any progress. He, you say, no, 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 I need to work to help myself. Let me shovel the driveway. He says, okay, let's suppose I pay you $25 an hour. Go ahead, shovel the driveway. And you work really hard to change yourself. And you shovel the driveway two hours. And he pays you $50. Does it pay your debt? Now, if you go to Walmart or Kroger, whatever stores you have here, I don't care, Sam's Club, with 50 bucks, you cannot even buy a plastic bag. You need 300 to do the shopping today. Am I right? You do, it doesn't help. And you work really hard. And still you didn't pay your debt and you didn't acquire righteousness. 
You go next day. Neighbor, give me more work. By the way, was it grace or works? 50 bucks. You work two hours, 25 an hour, it was works. You go next day. Neighbor, please give me more work. He says, don't you get it? You worked yesterday and you didn't get to solve your problem. If you work today, you still don't solve the problem. No, no, if I work hard, I may grow. I may solve the problem. He says, you don't understand business. He says, okay, there is no more snow. It didn't snow last night. My house is clean. I have a lady that I pay. Uh, you can dust the ch kitchen. You go there, and in five minutes you finish because it's clean already. Five minutes. How much should you be paid for five minutes? 25 an hour? Do the geography yourself. <laughs> How much should you be paid for five minutes? Two dollars? Well, let's be gracious. I'm going to give you 100. Okay? Is that okay? You work for three dollars, and I'm going to give you 100. Is that works or grace? It's both. He did a lot, God did a lot, and you did a little. You follow me? That's what some Christians say. God does a lot, but I do have my part. Now you got 100. Does it solve your problem? No, not even two plastic bags of food. And next day you go back, give me more works. He says, don't you get it? You are not able to save yourself. What should I do? Who is going to save me from this body of death? And he says, sit down. I don't have time. I have to work. Sit down. And you sit down and you look to him and he says, tell me your life. And you start talking and you talk for four hours. And then he says, now let me tell you my life. And he talks for four hours. And after that you say, man, I never knew that about you. You are bankrupt and now you got here. You are a billionaire. You know, I start to like you. Before I didn't like you. You are too rich. I don't like you. But now I started to like you. And he says, I didn't know about that about you either. And now I start to like you either. And you know what? We are friends. He says, I want to help you. Because I know you, and you know me, and because we have a relationship, and because we are friends, I'm going to help you. And he gets his checkbook, and he writes a check, $10 million. No, you, it's not enough for you? Okay, 20. Are you happy now? Okay, you are happy. $20 million. And he says, I'm going to give you a gift. What? Did you work for that? Is it grace or works? It's grace. You did nothing. You just talked. You had a relationship. And you say, don't, don't play games. $20 million, imagine. You look to the check, this is fake. And that's what we do with God. It's too good to be truth. It's too good, it's fake. And he says, now it's real. I worked for it. And you say, ah. You run to the bank and ask them to check if the check is real and if he has the funds. And they say, yeah, it's real. Oh, please deposit before he changes his mind. <laughs> and they deposit and then you go online and say, 20 million dollars in my bank account. I'm going to pay all my debt and have so much money I can live from interest and my children, my grandchildren forever and ever. Wow! And you call your wife and she says, you are crazy. You lost your mind. You are too stressed. Go online. She goes online. Ah! She starts screaming. She calls the children. She calls her sister. She calls her mom. Ah! And she tells everybody. She's happy. And then you think about it and you say, I tried hard. I killed myself working and I didn't make a head. Not one step. And he gave it to me for free as a gift. He changed my life forever. And if I was him, you know what I would do? I would go back to the rich man and give him a hug forever, squeeze him and kiss him and say, man, I love you. What can I do for you? Nothing. Man, I, I don't do to, to, to pay for it. I know if I live 10 lives, I can still not pay back because I still have to pay bills and I still have to eat and do my miserable salary. I can still not, I am unable to pay you back. But 
I love you so much because you changed my life. Let me do something for you. And he says, I don't need anything. I'm okay. Le- what are you doing here? I'm planting a garden. Let me plant it together with you. Let's plant the garden together. Why do you do that? Because I love you. Because you saved my life. Works come not to be saved, but because you understand what God has done for you. Works are the result of being saved. You don't do apples to deserve to be an apple tree. You don't do works to deserve to be a Christian. You become an apple tree and as a natural result you bear fruits. You are filled with Christ. You are transformed. You are saved. And because Christ lives in you, you do what is good because He controls your life. You follow me? Works are the proof that Jesus is in you. Not the means to salvation, but the results of salvation. Jesus first delivered them from Egypt and then gave them the law at the Red Sea. Jesus didn't give them the law in order to deliver them. He delivered them and then gave them the law. You follow me? The proof that you have been saved and that Christ is not a theory, but he is real in your life, is that you do good. That's the reason James says, prove your faith through your works. Prove that you have Jesus the way you live. You follow me? Works have their place, but not to deserve or to be saved. Now, talking about that, I want to, uh, to, to, to go a little deeper. God has a plan for everyone. He says in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you. It is plural, not singular. Plans, not the plan of salvation, but the plans. And it's a present tense that refers to today, not to tomorrow. God has a plan for you today. It is very sad to call yourself or myself a Christian and never be interested to know God's plan for me. Always I want God to bless my plans and I'm never curious to know his plan. God has a plan for you. And God called you not only to be saved, but God called you to mission, to service. And people come to church to be saved, to get peace, to get blessings, to be in heaven. God didn't call us to salvation or to blessings. God called us to sacrifice and to mission. And to the degree that you are filled with his presence and become more and more like Jesus, and you work and you become a blessing and you save others, to that degree you are ready for heaven. Because you don't match heaven. Heaven would be a mess, would be miserable if people go to heaven without sharing into Christ's character. The more you serve, the more you become like Jesus, the more you are ready for heaven. Moses says, take my name off and save them. People that wanted to kill him, to stone him. The more you become like Jesus, the more you forget your needs, you forget your problems, you forget your job, you forget your family, you forget your health, you forget yourself, and you want to be a blessing for others. The more you want to serve others, the more God can bless you. It is not safe for God to bless us and to give us power as long as we are self-centered. We would use that power and those blessings in a wrong way. The Bible says you pray and you don't receive because you pray amiss. You pray to use it wrong. Only when we die to self and share into Christ's character of self-sacrifice, 
of divine love. Only when we die to self, God can bless us and give us power because we would use that for good, not for selfish purpose. This world is full of selfishness, self-centeredness. Movies, do what you like, do how you feel. You should not do what you like. You should do what God likes and what your neighbor or your spouse wants and likes, not what you like. You need to sacrifice what you like for the sake of what she likes. You follow me? Or what he likes. The Bible says don't do what you want. You are not called to be comfortable. You are called to sacrifice self. Real love sacrifices self for the benefit of the one that loves. Do you follow me? If you really love God, you sacrifice self for God. If you really love your spouse, you sacrifice yourself for your spouse. If you really love your neighbor, you sacrifice yourself for your neighbor. My wife, she buys too much for our granddaughters. Trust me. And they grow fast. And she buys so much that there are some clothing, clothing that they don't even have time to wear before the baby is bigger than the clothing. And I tell her, honey, buy a little because they grow. Now, it is so beautiful. And Stop spending. And so, I talk to my wife. You need to love your neighbor more than you love your grandkid. Mm, that's hard. Uh, that's what the Bible says. And my wife comes home next day with two pair of beautiful shoes from Janie and Jack or something like that. I don't remember the name of the kid's store, whatever. <coughs> She knows them all. And I said, why would you buy two of the same size? One should be for six-year-old and one for seven, so she has next year. She says, honey, I heard what you said. I didn't buy two for her. Our neighbor has a girl also six years old, and they are poor. I brought a pair of shoes for our granddaughter and a pair of shoes for the neighbor, because you said, love your neighbor just as you love yourself. I said, good for you now. Now I am not sorry that you spend the money. Sure, I gave the shoes myself to the neighbor. <laughs> I wanted the neighbor to like me more, you know. <laughs> how much do you spend for yourself? And how much do you spend for the neighbor? Just honest analysis. How much do you pray for yourself? And how much measure, time it, how much do you pray for your neighbor? And we say we are Christians? Unless you love God more than self, and love your neighbor just yourself, our Christianity is a theory. Therefore, we need God's presence to change us, to become more and more like Jesus, less and less self-concerned, more and more self-sacrificing. And so, God has a plan for you. But it seems, whoa, I started to speak and it was 55 minutes to preach, and now it's still 55 minutes. God is doing the miracle of multiplying the time. God has a plan for you every day. It would be a blessing if everyone in this group or everyone in the church every morning would say, Lord, I have plans for today. Let's be practical. Lord, I surrender my plans. Give me your plans. Send me. Here I am. Use me. Open my eyes. If, if there is somebody that needs help, make me a blessing. Can you imagine how our families, how our churches would be like? We would be like Jesus. Less self-concerned and more self-sacrificing.
Do you understand? Lord, use me today. Lord, you have a plan for me. That's what the Bible says. Show me the plan. I told you, for instance, with the lady on the plane. You remember the story? Okay. I was driving from Illinois, from, from Tennessee to Wisconsin long ago. And as I was driving, I mean, on 57 interstate through Mount Vernon, close where is 3 ABN. As I was driving, I mean, you talk about 11 hours drive. It's a long trip and you lose one hour, so it's 12 hours drive. As I was driving, people usually listen to bad news or to stupid music, you know, when they drive. I, my wife and I, we don't. We pray and then we talk and then we listen to spiritual prophecy and then we listen to Bible and then we talk again and then I use the time to call people and pray with people. And as I was driving, I started to pray, Lord, use me today. I don't know how because I am driving. How could I talk to somebody if I am driving? Maybe over the phone, but use me today. Make me a blessing today. I'm not asking you to bless me today. I'm asking you to make me a blessing today. As soon as I finished that prayer, my telephone started to ring. And I look, and here is my friend. I'm not going to tell you the name. And my wife says, please don't answer. I tell you why. Between you and me, don't tell anybody. That guy is a good guy. He's a good pastor. He's a friend. I know him for a life. But he talks more than I do. I mean, he talks so much, he can talk your ears off. He can talk forever. He goes on solar power. He will never get drained. He... Last time when I visited him, he talked from 5 p.m. until 3 a.m. I was sleeping and he was still talking. <laughs> and my wife says, don't you answer. The telephone battery is going to die. We'll get home and he'll still be talking. Just don't answer. I said, okay. Pushed off. Didn't answer. And then I said, Lord, make me a blessing today. And God said, I did try. <laughs> and I said, Lord, please forgive me and have him call again. He started to call again. My wife says, don't answer. I said, I got to answer, Lord. Uh, honey, I, I pray that God will make me a blessing. And maybe this is it, you know. I answered. It was knowing. I was driving a Toyota Sienna. There, were, there was, it snowed the whole night. And then it started to melt. And then it froze. And it was really crazy slippery. And there were some cars here and there in the ditch, you know. And, and uh, the, the Toyota Sienna would go in just fine, you know. And so I answered the phone. Hey, man, how are you doing? Good, you? Good. Why do you call, man? How can I help you? Man, I was supposed to go in Cuba for a mission trip and the bus didn't come and my car is broken and nobody from the church has the courage to drive me to the airport. I'm losing my plane. I said, where do you live, man? Well, you, you know where I live. I said, yeah, but give me the address. He says, where, where are you? Are you home in Wisconsin? No. Are you in Tennessee with kids? No. Where are you? I'm on 57 driving to Mount, Mount Vernon. I live there. I live there. What exit? I, I said, I see exit number so-and-so. That's my exit. I said, okay. I took right on the exit. He says, what do I do now? Take a left. I took a left. Go straight to the first stop. I got to his house. Why? He called me in the moment I was going through that spot exactly before I took off on the exit. Nothing happens by chance. I took him, drove him to the airport. He got to the plane like about 45 minutes before the plane left. He went to Cuba, baptized a bunch of people. When you say, Lord, use me today, God is going to do it. And to the degree that you sacrifice self, to that degree, God can actually bless you so you can be a blessing. It is sad to call ourselves Christians and never seek God's plan, but rather God's blessing for our plans. God called Israel not to salvation. God called Israel to service. And to the degree that they would serve, 
they could be saved. God doesn't call Israel to salvation. God calls everybody to salvation, not only Israel. God doesn't call you to salvation. God calls everybody to salvation, including you. God wants everybody to be saved, none to perish. God loves everybody. And God called us, and I go to church to be saved. I go to church to be blessed. God called you to bless and to save. And Israel isolated themselves from the world. They were called, says in the spirit of prophecy, to be a, a light to the world, to be a blessing, to show the world God's love. That's what he says in the paragraph. To show the world God's love so the world, the other nations, would have a chance to salvation. God called Abraham to be a blessing to all nations, not only to Israel. Your house should be a house of prayer for all nations. But they isolated themselves from the nations, unclean, Gentiles. Okay. I was 17. We had a Christmas. I was the choir director. I thought I am the boss. I am the choir director. I was young, not much brain, you know. And so I worked really hard and prepared the best Christmas program in the history of the earth. And, 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 and some of my relatives, they prepared some cards for Christmas that were handmade. And we had choir and we had poetry and we had drama and we had pictures that somebody even from this crowd draw pictures for the program and we had the best Christmas ever and I went home to my dad and I was like a turkey like this <laughs> did you enjoy the program and my father said what program the Christmas program he says who prepared it I said we did and who listened we did he says son if you have a cow and the cow makes milk and the cow drinks the milk why do you have a cow I said, what do you mean? He says, if you have a church and the church makes programs and the church listens to their own programs and then they applaud themselves and then they go home happy. Why do you have a church? You don't do farming in the barn. You do farming in the field and bring the harvest in the barn. You don't do church in the church between four walls. You are called not to wait. You are called to go. You follow me? And be a blessing to them, not to you. Because Israel, in Exodus chapter 25, were called to be called a kingdom of priests. All of them, not only Aaron. To be a kingdom of priests. And because they failed to fulfill their mission, God rejected them, not to salvation. As individuals, they could be saved. God rejected them to mission. And God gave us that mission. We are the spiritual Israel. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm sorry. It says, we are a kingdom of priests. God called us to mission. And to the degree that we care for the others around us, to the degree that we love people, to that degree, we are more and more like Jesus and we can be saved. Imagine, what if everybody in the church would sacrifice self and every morning would say, Lord, give me your plans. As Jesus says in John, I don't do my own works. I do the works of the Father. You say, Lord, I give up my works. I give up my agenda. I give up my plans. Use me today. Open my eyes. There are people in pain, people in sick, people in divorce, people that struggle, people depressed. There are so many people in pain around us. Open my eyes. Make me a blessing today. Help me be like Jesus. Help me love people the way you love people. What if, what if we do that in the family? Our churches will be filled. There is a quotation in the book, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, where it says, 
that no sermon would impress a heart before you show the love of Jesus. Christ's method alone. He first ate with them and loved them and helped them and built relationship and trust. And then he said, follow me. Israel left Egypt, went to the sea, got the Ten Commandments at Sinai, went to the wilderness, but failed to enter Canaan. Why? Is it because they didn't keep Sabbath? Is it because there were giants and wars in Jericho? The Bible says in Hebrew chapter 3, 4, in that area, a whole chapter talks about them and says they didn't enter because of unbelief. Abraham believed. Israel didn't believe. Do you believe that God has the power to change you? Do you believe that God has the power to use you? If God could use a donkey, he can use anybody, trust me. If God could use two demoniacs, he can use anybody. The success in our work doesn't depend on ourselves, our wisdom, our experience, our education, our power. Depends on how much of God's presence we have in us. That's the key. Therefore, if you really want success, you need to fill yourself with God's presence. You need a fresh baptism of the Spirit every morning. You need to make God such a priority that you would rather lose your school or your job than to get out of your bedroom without prayer and study. You need to make prayer such a priority that you love prayer more than sleep, more than school, more than work, more than family, more than health, more than life. That you would rather lose everything than to lose your time with God. You need to be so thirsty for God that you pray and say, Lord, Please use cold water, do whatever it takes, and wake me earlier so I can spend time with you. Lord, I don't want to do prayer to do my duty. I need to read three chapters a day and pray my prayer. I don't want to do the routine. I want to know you. I don't want to study and I don't even understand what I am studying. I want to know you. Give me your spirit to understand. Help me know you, how you think, how you function, how you plan, your love. You Help me understand you more. I want you. Lord, I have needs, but I am giving up. You can take everything away from me. You can take my house. I don't care. Give me Jesus. You follow me? To the degree that you are thirsty for God and you make him a priority, to that degree God can change you, grow you, and use you, and make you a blessing and more and more like Jesus. Then you will have peace and power and success. Instead of seeking power and success and blessings, seek Jesus. And all the other things come together. Do you follow me? I don't know what time it is. This is still 55 minutes to preach. <laughs> Imagine. 11.20, you said? You have a good watch? 11.20, so how long do we have? Okay, let's talk about Israel and salvation. We, we still have time. Wonderful. I can talk. So, Israel left Egypt, Okay. Growing in Jesus. We draw a parallel between Abraham and us, a parallel between Israel and us. Paul says, don't do like your parents. Don't be like your parents that perished in the rebellion. They didn't enter because of unbelief. They hardened their hearts. You, you follow me? Don't be like your parents. What does he mean? Israel left Egypt. I want you to think the plagues, the power that God exercised to deliver them. 
and then they go to the Red Sea. I want you to imagine if you go to the ocean and you see the ocean splitting two vertical walls of water and you can get your hand into the water and touch fish and yet the water doesn't come over you. Imagine the powerful, unbelievable miracle. It's just unbelievable. And they go through those plagues and that deliverance and they go through the sea and yet they get to Sinai and see God's glory on the mountain and yet 40 days later they do what? They make a golden calf and they look to a stupid cow made of gold and they say, please deliver us. Focusing on earthly things to help you instead of God that has been helping you graciously so far. Why would we focus on things that we see instead of focusing on God? You follow me? And they hope that the cow, the gold, would help them. I want you to understand something here. They went through the sea and in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, says that they all, they were all baptized into the sea. And yet, after baptism, they worship gold. You follow me? Does it happen that people come to the church, they are delivered, they, they get out of Egypt, out of the world, they get into the church, they get baptized, they go to the sea, they get at Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments, they see God's power, and yet they make a golden calf. Does it happen? Why? It is because we have the theory, but we don't have the presence. Do you understand? It is because we think he got baptized, praise the Lord. That's it. That's not it. Salvation has three stages. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is when you get out of Egypt, out of Babylon, out of the world, and you get baptized into the church. It's called you are born again. That's justification. Justification takes a second, a day, a moment, an event. We think he was baptized. Praise the Lord. That's not the end of the story. That's the beginning. When a baby is born, is not the end of the story. The baby needs to burp, to poop, to eat, and to change the diaper. It's not the end of the story. It's the beginning. Christians get to the church and they think this is it. And that's the reason they fail. Because they fail to grow. You are supposed to grow in Jesus. You are supposed from babies that eat milk to grow to the statue of fullness of Christ to spiritual mature adults that eat hard food. You are supposed to grow daily. A baby that doesn't grow, it's a sick baby, a sick Christian. We have people in the church baptized 40 years ago. They sang a song and nobody applauded. And they say, I'm not coming back. You need to grow up. They still, after 40 years of being Christians, wear diapers. They stink. Christians mature. Christians grow. Christians don't go to church to be blessed or to be appreciated. Christians go to church to sacrifice self and be a blessing. To encounter Christ, to know Christ, and to help others. Christians don't go to work to get a salary. While salary is necessary, Christians go to work because God made them responsible for the co-workers and the co-workers' blood is going to be required from their hands. The co-workers will say, you knew it and you didn't tell me and I am perishing now. Christians don't have a home to have a roof over the head. Christians have a home because they are responsible for the neighbors. And if you don't care for the neighbors, you are not a Christian. 
If you don't go to the neighbor to share some cookies, when you do that, you can visit me too. To share some cookies and to say, can I pray for you? We are more afraid to offer prayer than they are afraid to be prayed for. Hello? Did you hear what I said? Christians have a home to be responsible for the neighbors. Christians have an education not to have a future, but to work with their classmates. Christians, whatever they have, they use it for God and they do all things for God. I'm not saying that you all should be pastors. Then my salary is going to be very small. It is small anyway, but not everybody should be a pastor, but wherever God put you, whatever gifts God gave you, you need to do it all as you do it for God. Wherever you are, you need to be a light, you need to be salt, you need to be a blessing. You need to fulfill the mission that God gave you. Jesus called everybody in his field, not only pastors. Everybody has to work. The great commission is not to the pastors, it's to everybody. In the Bible, all parables that Jesus gave, everybody who fulfilled the mission is saved and everybody who failed the mission is lost. For instance, the fig tree that doesn't produce figs is chopped off. The servant that doesn't feed the other servants perishes. The virgins that don't have a light perish. You follow me? The servant that doesn't use the talents, he buries the talents, perishes. In the Bible, in all parables, you and we are supposed to serve. And to the degree that you serve, you show that Christ is real in your life. And so, going back, Israel failed to serve. Therefore, they were rejected. They failed to grow. They got baptized, and this is it. Our call is to keep Sabbath, to go to church, to eat clean, to know the doctrines, to return tithe. Those are good. Please don't misunderstand. Don't say, Pastor Guy, I said we don't have to do those things. You cannot really have God and say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to obey the commandments. I can cheat on my spouse. No. But it's not enough to do those things unless you are filled with Christ's presence, unless you sacrifice yourself, unless you love God and you love your neighbor, the other things would count for zero. That's the reason when Jesus comes, some people say, Lord, we have been going to church. Yes, you did. Lord, we, have, we did evangelism. Yes, you did. I don't know you. You follow me? And then he says to the other group, I was in prison and you visited me. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was uh, naked and you gave me clothing. I was, and they say, Lord, we've never seen you in prison. Come on, Lord, you in prison. He says, every time you did it to them, you did it to me because those are my children. Christianity shows in the way we love and serve. And that's the best sermon ever. So Israel failed to fulfill God's plan. They went through the Red Sea. They got baptized. They came to church. But they failed to grow. And now you, th you think about it. Justification when, when you get baptized. You are not saint. You are considered saint. Jesus at baptism forgives your sins, but you are not transformed yet. You found Jesus. You didn't follow. You just found. The song is not, I have decided to find. The song is, I have decided to follow. Not to find, to follow Jesus. And so it's not enough to find Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. It's not enough to be a member. You need to be a disciple. God didn't call you to make members. God called you to make disciples. It's not enough to come to church. You need to grow. You follow me? Therefore, we have problems in the church because people get baptized and they don't grow. It's not enough to be justified. You need to be sanctified. And that's the wilderness process. After you are baptized, 
you get out of Egypt, you need to go to the wilderness. And people don't like that. People like to be baptized and they like to go to heaven. People like to get out of Egypt and they like to go into Canaan. But nobody likes the wilderness. No water, no food, you are attacked. Wilderness, who likes these trials, this life? You follow me? But God is using the wilderness to teach you necessary lessons for character growth and service and sanctification. Wilderness is necessary. You say, Lord, change me. And then you hit a trial. And you say, Lord, solve the problem, please. Lord, this is my problem. And God says, didn't you ask me to grow you? Now I am growing you. You want God to answer your prayer to sanctify you without trials. When you pray for sanctification, you pray for trials. Because wilderness is the means that God is using to purify gold, fire. You follow me? The fiery furnace. Therefore, when you have a problem, instead of saying, Lord, solve my problem, it's better if we say, Lord, I hate it, but I know that all things work together. I know that you are in control. I know that if you allowed it, it means I need it. So please grow me so I pass the exam so I don't have to repeat the trial, the class. And so after I grow, then please, if you want also solve it, remove it. Because we fail to grow. Every time we hit a trial, every time we hit a crisis, we want to go back to the first experience when I got baptized and I came to church and it was wonderful. And right now, after 20 years, I don't have that. Because we fail to understand the wilderness. Wilderness is a blessing. Therefore, pa Paul says, I rejoice even in my trials. Wilderness is a blessing. It's the sanctification process. Justification takes an event. Sanctification takes a life. Ellen White says it's a lifelong time process. It's a lifelong process. Sanctification. Now, listen carefully. And glorification is an eternity. Let me explain something. Justification is out of Egypt. Sanctification is wilderness. Glorification is heaven. Canaan. Justification takes a day. Sanctification, a life. Glorification, an eternity. Justification is God giving you, listen carefully, God uh, giving you uh, power, uh, let, me, let me find the expression that I have here. And we can, <coughs> my computer closed. I need to put in the password. I want to, to clarify something even uh, more than what we talked so far. Okay, I found it, finally. I want to cl clarify something that is a little e even uh, more profound. We didn't manage to, I didn't manage to address it, and you probably heard me, heard me before. Okay, I found it. Justification is salvation from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is salvation from the power of sin. And glorification, salvation from the presence. Penalty, power, presence. Salvation from the penalty, salvation from the power, salvation from the presence of sin. I want to clarify something. God called Israel out of Egypt for what? Moses didn't tell Pharaoh, let them go to Canaan. Moses didn't say, let them be saved. Let them go to the, to the promised land. Let, let them go to heaven. Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go in the wilderness, not to heaven, not to Canaan. In the wilderness, did you hear what I say? What was the prayer? Let my people go where? In the wilderness, why? 
to worship and to serve our God. Did you catch the two words? Wilderness, to worship and to serve. Think about it. Worship is vertical, service is horizontal. To the degree that you worship God and you serve your neighbor, to that degree you are ready to enter in the promised land. Worship is not Saturday. Well, I go to worship, I go to church. Worship is every day. To worship is to acknowledge God as your Lord. To worship means that you say, I am the servant. By the way, when they would worship, they would remove their shoes. That's the reason God told Moses. That's the reason God also told Joshua, remove your shoes because this is holy ground. When they would enter in the temple, they would remove shoes because slaves had no shoes. Free people had shoes. And in God's presence, they acknowledge that they are servants, they are slaves, and God is the master. Worship is to acknowledge him as your king, and you are the servant. Worship is to say, you are in control, I do whatever you say. I am the servant, I do what you say. We go to God and ask him to do what we say. We make him the servant. Worship is every day when you give up what you want and do what God says. When you put God and his plan above self, that's worship. And you should worship God. We should worship God every day, Monday, Tuesday, every day. You follow me? That's real worship. When you live in God's presence continually, acknowledging him as your Lord continually, and do what he says continually, that's worship. And service is when you care for your neighbor continually. To the degree that you do that, you are ready for the promised land. Otherwise, you never enter. And they died in the wilderness. They didn't enter. And he says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as your parents did in the wilderness. Why does he say today within 10, 15 verses, three times today, today, today? You, you heard my, probably my speech before on the internet. When I was a kid, you heard this story. When I was a kid, I was walking to school and I was coming from uh, where I was living, going to school. And sometimes I would go to a place where it was a little market. Uh, there was a guy from Turkey that he lived in Romania. His name was Bayram Hassan. And he sold a juice that we called Braga. It was a juice really good. And he sold ice cream. And I have the picture with him. He had a little, a little cart with three wheels and tubes and ice around those stainless steel tubes. And he had ice cream in those tubes. And it was vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, and pistachio ice cream. And trust me, the pistachio ice cream was to die for. It was good. And he would sell uh, juice and ice cream. And he would scream, that guy, crazy, loud, from morning to night, every day, all his life, until I moved from Romania. Every day, he would scream. And by the way, his grandson was my classmate. And now he took over the grandfather business, and he's selling, but he doesn't scream the same saying. The old man would scream, today you pay, tomorrow is free. You imagine the rest of the story. I was small. I went, I paid for ice cream, and then I went next day, I said, give me my free ice cream. He said, you came today, son, today you pay, tomorrow is free. I said, no, 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 I came tomorrow. No, you came today. No, I came yesterday that was today, and now I came today that is tomorrow. He said, no, you got it wrong, today is today. Tomorrow is tomorrow. You came today, today you pay. I paid again, I came next day. I said, now give me my ice cream, I, I came tomorrow. He said, you came today again. Today you pay, you need to come tomorrow, tomorrow is free. I said, come on, man, when is tomorrow? He said, tomorrow never comes. We have a tendency to believe that tomorrow we are going to start praying and studying and serving. If you really want to pray, if you desire that with all your heart, 
You don't wait until tomorrow. You start today. If you really want to serve, you start today. If you don't start today and you think that you start tomorrow, it means that you don't really want. It means you have other priorities. It means that you put something else above God. And then you'll not start tomorrow because tomorrow you have something else again and you'll never start. And Satan loves Christians that will do everything tomorrow. Therefore, the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because the Spirit of Prophecy says, to the first rejection of the Holy Spirit would follow a second rejection and then easier, a third rejection. And the more we reject, she says, the more we harden our hearts, our hearts become insensitive to the message and to the impression. And we get used to the Holy Spirit and we just, we don't get impressed anymore. We develop crocodile skin. Nothing can impress us. I heard that sermon. You follow me? The more you procrastinate to do what God says, the more you become insensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice, the more you harden your hearts. We should never play games with the Holy Spirit. If God impresses you to start praying today, start praying today. Prayer should be a blessing, a privilege, not a chore. If God impresses you to start serving today, start serving today. Trust in Him. Start serving today. If God would say, go to the neighbor today, go to the neighbor today. To the degree that you do today what God says today. God says, I have a plan for you today. To the degree that you obey today, it prepares you for tomorrow. You follow me? In this hour of ages, to the last two, three chapters, it says that God would never give us big things. He would give us small things. And to the degree that we daily are faithful in the small things, we grow and get ready for bigger things. God will never give you more light or more things before you are faithful in daily small things. God says, I have a plan for you. As he had for Israel, he has for each one of us. To the degree that you daily submit your plans and follow God's plan, to that degree you grow in the wilderness. To that degree maturity happens. Spiritual maturity, the wilderness process, is daily in things that are insignificant and small. You are faithful and you are filled with God's presence and you serve. That's the wilderness. And that's not one day when you leave Egypt. Not one day when you enter Canaan. That's a lifelong process. It's continual growth. And listen carefully. Are you saved? Yes or no? Let me explain what it means. I have been saved. I've been justified when I left Egypt. Okay? I am being saved. I am in the process of the wilderness. God is working on me. Sanctification. And I will be saved when Jesus comes. Glorification. I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. I'm continually saved because I'm in the salvation process. Salvation is a process. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Now listen carefully. This is the key, what I say next. It doesn't matter where you are. In the process of salvation, if you are here or here or here or here, doesn't matter. God doesn't save you because you got there. God doesn't save you because of what you do and how perfect you are. Regardless how perfect you are, regardless how much you do, regardless how much you pay, regardless how much sacrifice and how much you give, you still don't deserve heaven. You can never do anything to pay for Jesus' blood. 
And you can never do anything to pay for a day in heaven, moreover for an eternity in heaven. God doesn't save you because of what you do. God saves you because of Christ in you. When Jesus is in you, you cannot be lost. If Jesus is in you, you are saved because he is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He who has Christ has life. He who has no Christ has no life. He who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. Basically, doesn't matter if you are here or here or here. It matters if Jesus is in you. It matters if you are in the process. Whatever you are, maybe you are in this step in the wilderness or in this step or in this step. Maybe you are the thief on the cross in the beginning or you are Paul at the end. I fight the good fight. I, I, you follow me? Doesn't matter where you are. Maybe you are Mother Teresa. You are right here. Maybe you are just the woman of the world. You are just here. But as long as you are in the process, as long as God is in you, working in you, you are saved. Now, if you are here, perfect. And you separate from Christ, you lost salvation. Because salvation is only in one name. That's it. So you may be perfect. If you separate from Christ, you are lost. And you may be here. If you invite Christ and you are filled with his presence, you are saved. As long as Christ is in you, he is working on you. And he is growing you like children grow. And you don't see, Pastor, I've been praying and studying and serving for two weeks and I don't see any difference. You don't see grass growing. You don't see flowers growing. You don't see children growing. But they do grow. How do you know that you don't grow? Well, Pastor, that means that you monitor yourself. Stop looking to self. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Your business is to be in Jesus. His business is to grow you. Do your job and trust that he will do his job. He's able. Very important. In the process of salvation, the Holy Spirit works like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see the effects. Don't look for what you see to know that you are saved. Oh, I don't feel that God is answering my prayer. I don't feel that he loves me. I don't feel that, he an I don't, I don't feel that I grow. God's love doesn't depend on your moods, chemistry, feelings, emotions. God's love depends on his character. That doesn't change. When you feel it and when you don't feel it. When you understand it, when you don't, he loves you just the same. He knew all your sins before you sinned, before you were born. And he chose to die for you and to love you. Therefore, don't look to self. Oh, I'm not changing. Satan wants you to look to self either because you become proud or you become discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul says, I forget what is behind. And I keep my eyes on the captain of my salvation. I look for what is ahead. Fix your eyes on the captain of your salvation. You follow me? And so, as long as you are in Jesus and he's in you, he's working on you like the, like the wind, like the Holy Spirit. And you don't see anything as you don't see the wind. But you see the effects two, three, five years later because it's a process. As you look back, you see that God has been working in you. You don't need to be concerned when and how. You just need to remain in Christ because separated from Christ, we are nothing. You follow me? Salvation is being in Christ, allowing him to grow you in his power to his spirit, to work in you continually. And as long as he's in you, working in you, you are safe. Pastor, what if I don't... If, if Jesus comes or I die tonight and I'm not perfect yet. I don't know anybody perfect except myself. <laughs> you, try, you, you understand what I'm trying to say. Let me, our time, what time is it? Who has a clock again? 11.44. 11 Brother Luke, what time should we finish?
Five more minutes? Wonderful. I can give a story and we can finish. <coughs> I'm trying to decide between three, four stories. <laughs> sunshine, wonderful. Blessed sunshine. Oh, praise the Lord. So nice. Now we can stay longer. If you have food, we can stay forever. Yeah. I'm trying to, so this is a little challenging story, but talking about sacrifice and growth. I was in the university in Romania. You probably heard the story, you read the story long ago. I, uh, it was difficult to get in school in that time. You would not pay tuition and register. You would have to pass three days exams. It was about eight hours a day. First day, it was eight hours mathematics. Second day, eight hours physics. And third day, eight hours languages. The first day, we had two hours algebra, two hours trigonometry, two hours geometry, two hours calculus. Next day, two hours mechanic physics, two hours static physics, two hours electronic physics, two hours whatever physics. Next day, uh, uh, composition and then uh, writing and then, I don't remember, but anyway, it was languages. And it was a bunch of students that would take one, two, three, four years uh, tutoring from famous teachers, pay big money, and they would try again and again and again every year, and they would fail. When I went to Construction University, there were 976, 77 students competing for 10 seats. We call them seats. It was 10 openings. So the top 10 would get in the school, the others would fail. Didn't matter if you got a 3.99. If there were 10 that got a 4, though you had a 3.99, you were the 11th, and there were only 10 openings. And so <coughs> I got in school, I got admitted. Now I want you to understand, I was the fourth one among 976 or 77. I, imagine, my, I had already two hearts beating in left and right. I was so proud, you know. And so I called my dad, I said, I am in. He says, where? In school. He says, is it a nice building? Why are you so proud? I said, I got admitted. And my father said, and that's what makes you happy? Yes. I said, shouldn't you be happy for me? Oh, yeah, I am. But you never call me to say that I know Jesus. I got to be in Jesus. You never call me so excited as you call me to tell me that you are in school. You hear me? You never got so excited that you got Jesus. And you get so excited that you got admitted in school. I said, Dad, you should rejoice for me. Oh, yes. I would rejoice more when you get to know Jesus. <laughs> I said, Dad, I love Jesus. He said, yeah, you think so. No, 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 I love him. No, 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 you, you think so. Dad, I am honest. Yes, that's what you think. <laughs> Dad, I, am, I mean it, I am honest. I know you are honest. You just don't know. <laughs> and my father said, well, read Revelation chapter 3. You think this way and you don't know how you are. And my son, the problem is not how you are. The problem is that you don't know how you are. All people don't understand, you know, this stuff. And so I went to school. And my father said, you really think that you love Jesus? Yes. Well, we will talk later. Okay. Whatever. I got in school. I did, we had school on Saturdays. I didn't go to school on Saturdays. And then after about three months of school, they called me. And they said, Goya, we did some research. You miss every Saturday. You don't miss because you are sick. You don't miss because you are lazy. You don't miss because you go camping. You don't miss because you go home. You miss because you go to church. I said, yes. Well, we don't believe in God. I said, that's your business. Well, in this country, we don't allow it. Okay. Next Saturday, if you miss school, you'll be expelled without any right to register again. 
This is it, the end of your education. Well, 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 I was the fourth one. In Romania, in that time, if you didn't have education, you didn't have a good salary. You worked hard, uh, but when you had uh, a college degree or a master's or something, you, you were the boss. You had a good salary, influence, power, a big house, you know. I want you to have a comfortable life. I was not happy. I would be expelled without any right to go back to school. So I started to be a good Christian. I started to pray. Lord, would you please save my education? I really don't want to miss school. Lord, please help me. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed two days and two nights. I broke my heart praying with no answer. Why would God not answer? Doesn't he care that I'm losing my school? So I called my dad. I'm losing school. What did you do? Just I didn't go on Sabbath to school. And, and I am praying and God doesn't care. He doesn't answer. And my father says, son, do you love Jesus? I said, yes. Well, I asked you when we got in school if you love Jesus. And you said, yes. Yes. Well, now we talk again. Now I have proof that you don't love Jesus. No, daddy, I really love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Okay. Then why do you call me about school? I'm losing school. But if you love Jesus, does it matter? I said, yes, it matters. He said, you don't listen. Do you love Jesus? Yes. More than anything else in your life? Yes. Okay, bye. He hung up. <laughs> I called him back. Why do you hang up? He says, son, you don't listen. I do. You don't listen. No, I do. You don't listen. Okay. Do you love Jesus? Yes. More than anything? Yes. More than school? Yes. Then why do you have a problem that you lose school? Can it be that you love school more than Jesus? No. Then why do you have a problem? If you love Jesus more than school, you should be ready to say, I consider all things a loss for the price of knowing Jesus. Yeah, but can I have both? No, you cannot. Why not? Because you cannot serve two masters. You cannot love both. You cannot have both. Whatever you want to keep, that's what you lose. And whatever you are willing to lose, that's what you keep. Who wants to save his life is going to lose it. Who is willing to lose his life will keep it. When Abraham was willing to lose his son, then he kept it. If you want to keep school, it's going to be a curse for you. But if you are willing to put that above school, then school is going to be a blessing for you. Because whatever you don't give up for God, that's your God. That's what chokes your relationship with God. That's what chokes your growth. That's what limits God's power in your life. Whatever you cannot surrender. And so my father said to me, you pray the wrong prayer. Lord, save my school. You should say, Lord, school is not important. You are important. I would like to keep my school. But help me seek you first and your kingdom and your service above school. Above anything else. And Lord, help me to honor you and to serve you and to love you and to make you a priority and to make you first to the price of school or job or health or life. And so Lord, if my school would serve you, would honor you, let me be in school and serve you and be a witness to these people that don't know God. But if my school will not serve you, please get me out of the school. There is no benefit to be in school without serving you, using the school for you. So get me out of the school. If my school would help me start prayer groups and pray for others and be a blessing. If my school would help me help them know Jesus. If my school would make me a servant, let me be in school. If not, kick me out. School is the benefit to serve God, not the benefit to get a salary. You hear me? I prayed two days and two nights before and I got no answer. Now, I hated this prayer. It was a tough prayer to pray. Lord, keep me out of school. Really? I said, Lord, 
uh, I don't want to lose education. I don't want to be expelled. But I give you permission to expel me. And if you think that I will use this education for you, let me be in school. If not, kick me out. When I prayed that prayer, instantly I knew that God answered. I didn't hear a voice, a thunder. There was no bump. But in that moment, I had a peace that I could not explain. Instantly, all my stress of school went away like I had no school problem. Nobody was expelling me. Instantly, I forgot all the stress and I had peace. And I knew that God answered when I put him first, not my need. I didn't know what was going to happen. I went to school. It was Thursday. Mrs. Rad was the secretary of the construction university, the, the whole building, the whole, you know. And she meets me and she says, Goya, you are a good student, straight A's. Please don't be fanatic. There is no God. Have you seen God? Yes. What? Last night. She says, you need to go to the doctor. There is no God. I said, lady, I talked to God last night. She shook her head and she says, you are crazy. Come to school and in your mind worship God. I said, that means compromise. You compromise a little today, a little tomorrow. Soon enough, you are far. Either with God or with Satan. You cannot be in the middle with compromises. I said, lady, if God wants to save my school, he is able, as he saved the three young people from the fiery furnace. And if God doesn't, I don't want school. I finish school and then it, I turn really bad. I'm going to be selfish or I die in a tornado or in a car accident. It doesn't help me. I want Jesus more than school. And if God wants to save my school, he's going to save it. She says, Goya, no God can save you from a communist government power. No God can work against them. They have unlimited power to do whatever they want with your life or school or freedom. I said, lady, you don't know my God. My God is so big that the government is baby. The communist government is like a newborn baby. My God is real. She shook her head and she said, I want to see what God can help you. I called my dad. I told him. He said, she's in trouble. I said, what? She challenged God. He's like, he's like, he's like Goliath. When he says, uh, and, and David said, I come to you in God's name, Goliath was already in trouble. <laughs> and my father said, now pray for her. Lord, do whatever you want in my school. But do something for this lady that she would know that there is a God in heaven and she would have a chance to salvation. Do something for the teachers. Do something for the colleagues. Doesn't matter my school. Do something for them and forget me. And I prayed that prayer. Friday morning, my last day of school. I go to school and she comes to me. She's like the Romanian flag, yellow, red, blue, you know, pale. I said, do you have the virus or something? Not this, I'm kidding, I didn't say that. Are you sick? She says, Goya, do you know Ceausescu? That was the president, the dictator. I said, yeah, I see him every day on TV. No, 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 do you know him personally? Are you friends? I said, lady, are you crazy? Who can get close to that guy? Do you know anybody in the central committee, in the communist party, in Ceausescu's group? the close group in the government to the next, next to the president. Do you know anybody there? No. Do you know anybody in the government? No. All I know about government, when I don't have money to buy flowers for my wife, I go in front of the government building, there are thousands of roses, I take one for free. That's all the government I know. <laughs> you don't know anybody in the government? No. You know what happened today? No. You know what happened today at 7.30 a.m.? No. What happened? Ceausescu spoke on television. And he said, we need to save the economy, the president. And today I'm going to decree, starting today, 
from now on, in the whole country, I'm going to close all schools on Saturdays. From today on, there will be no more school open. This way we save so much power, so much heat, so much this and that and that, so many millions, so many trillions, so many whatever, and we, in these five years, we save the economy. And she said, if this law came next week, you'd be out. And she says, your God saved your education. I said, no lady, when I pray for my education, my God didn't. Your God wants to save you? Because when I pray for you, then he did it. You follow me? You watch miracles. The paralyzed guy, they brought him to Jesus. They lowered him to the roof. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they say, who is this? This is blasphemy. And Jesus says, for you to believe, I say. Jesus didn't heal him to give him healing. Jesus healed them so they would believe and have a chance to salvation. If you watch Jesus' miracles, Jesus focused first on salvation. And we focus so much on this life. We must learn to put God first. Relationship, prayer, study, service, mission. We must learn to put God first. His plans, service first. And forget self. Forget school. Forget, they hear me now. Forget school. (laughs) Forget job. Forget health. Forget family. Forget freedom. Forget life. And to the degree that you put God, relationship with him, and service and his plan first, to that degree, God can bless you and grow you and prepare you and use you. The reason we have no power and growth is that we are so focused on our needs that we think that we love God, but we actually love other things. Whatever stresses you, that's what you love. Our prayer should be, Lord, I have many needs, but my greatest need is your presence. Please feel free. I give you permission. I give you my consent. Feel free to take anything from me that limits my relationship with you. I know it's going to hurt. I know you'll be with me and comfort me. I give you permission to take anything that I worship. I want to worship you. I give you permission to do whatever surgery that would hurt me like crazy that I need in order to know you and to desire you like a deer desires water. When our priority becomes God, relationship with him, and love for the neighbor, when that's our priority, then you have Jesus in your heart. You follow me? That's when God is going to really bless you and make you power, influence, blessing. When God is in full control of your life. Our time is up. We passed my... preached another five prophetic minutes instead of five real minutes. We got to pray and finish. I'm hungry already. As you go home, we meet again one more time in the afternoon. As you go home, don't go home. Oh, we, we, we heard a nice message. Uh, uh, hopefully you say that. If you say terrible message, tell your business. I will pray for you. Don't go and say, it was a good message, and that's it. Oh, I was moved, and that's it. Act on it. God doesn't ask you to have the power to change you. God asks you to give him permission to change you. You follow me? Elena says, give him your consent and he will do for you what you cannot do. Very simple. Act on it, Lord. I cannot do it, but I know you can. I don't know how. I don't need to know how. You don't need to understand in order to believe. You need to know him in order to believe. 
I give you permission. Please. Help me today. Tomorrow we'll see. Maybe I don't live until tomorrow. When we get there, we talk about that. We will cross that bridge then. But today, I want you first. And if you pray that prayer every day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, every morning, Lord, I give you permission today. Give me your plan today. Remain in me today. Control my life today. Help me love you more than anything today. As you give him permission, you will not see anything that day. You may, I don't know. But God is going to slowly, through daily insignificant things that you don't even think about, you don't even consider, they are so small, they don't matter. Through small things, God is going to grow you more and more to know him, to experience him, to trust him, to learn to love him, to understand how he works. And he will work in you. And as long as you pray that prayer and you are in God, you are safe. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a promise that you can save the uttermost. What a promise that you can do everything. What a promise that nothing is impossible for you. We so many times look to self. We look to impossibilities. We look to, to giants, to walls. And we get discouraged because we fail to look to you and to know you and to trust in you. Help us to know you, to love you, to desire you more than anything, and to remain in you. Help us to trust in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.